Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences podcast. I'm Heather Hoops Matthews here in the studio with Nexon Pruitt healthcare attorney Dara Coleman. Dara, good to be with you. It's great to see you, Heather. The vaccine, vaccines and their rollouts and the mandates, I expect that continues to be a hot topic with your clients. Absolutely. It is a very hot topic. It's a highly fluid um, situation as we've had a lot of activity this week. And a lot of questions have come in um, as employers continue to juggle what's mandatory, what they should do um, from a discretionary perspective. So this is an issue that's going to continue to evolve. And then we have the new news of Omicron. And so today on Taking the Pulse, it's great timing. We are welcoming back South Carolina's epidemiologist, Dr. Linda Bell, to join us. She has been gracious with her time throughout the last 20 months. We're going to talk about the vaccinations, mandates, the rollout, and Omicron. So stay with us on Taking the Pulse. Welcome back, everyone. Joining us today on Taking the Pulse is an expert in all things regarding the pandemic. We are blessed to welcome back Dr. Linda Bell, South Carolina's epidemiologist for the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control here in our state. And since March of 2020, it's hard to believe we go back that far, but since March of 2020, Dr. Bell has been informing the public about all things regarding the pub the pandemic, from safety precautions to the latest on COVID data. Dr. Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Again, I think this is the fourth time. Well, thank you for inviting me back, and thank you for your efforts to uh, help get questions answered. Well, thank you. And let's start with a question, and that is, can you just provide for us an update on South Carolina's progress on getting people vaccinated uh, for those ages 12 and older? How are we faring? Well, sure, we're making progress. Our progress is slow, um, but at this time, there are um, approximately 63% of those in South Carolina, those in South Carolina who are over the age of 12, have have, have had one dose, and about 55% of South Carolinians over the age of 12 have completed the recommended vaccination regimen for the dose that they received. So um, we're actually comparatively low when we look at other states. Uh, South Carolina is probably in the bottom half of statewide coverage. I hate to hear that. I know. I know that that's surprising. Are we at least trending in the right direction? We're trending. We continue to make progress, but that progress is slow, unfortunately. And when we are in this um, this awful race against this virus that is doing so much harm, much more rapid vaccine uptake would put us in a much better position, would get far more people protected, and would help our communities recover more quickly. So uh, yes, we're making progress, but we need to continue to encourage people to, um, to get vaccinated, hope to help people understand that we still have so much within our power to change the course of what's going on. And, and the sooner that we um, work to get ahead of this virus, the much better we'll all be in terms of the prevention of hospitalizations, absenteeism, and just the recovery of, of you know, what we want to see in our communities as we move into the holidays. We are, um, I've been asked a recent question, how are we in terms of being well protected before Christmas? Well, if you haven't started your vaccination schedule yet, and it takes, uh, if you have a two-dose series, between three or four weeks to complete, and then two weeks after that to be considered fully protected, 
we're sort of running out of time to get that full protection in the holidays for people who are, haven't started yet. Right. Well, Dr. Bell, in early November, the CDC approved the recommendation for the pediatric vaccine for children aged um, 5 to 12 years old. How are we doing with this age demographic, um, children 5 to 12 years old? Sure, that's also going slow um, in that age, that newly um, approved age group. We have uh, only about 7.4% uh, of children between the ages of 5 and 11 who have received one dose. And of course, few of them have had time to even uh, get a second dose yet. Right. What do you see as some barriers for this younger age group? One of the largest barriers is simply misinformation. Um, and, and, and parents understandably have concerns, but many people are dwelling so much on the possible side effects of the vaccine, which are actually very similar to the side effects of other vaccines that have helped people so much. You know, we expect that you may have a sore arm, you may run a low-grade fever um, or have body aches, but th those are short-lived. The biggest issue is, is not focusing on the disease itself and the risk to the children of the real and serious complications that we are seeing in children that, and far more frequently than any serious effects from the uh, vaccine. So one of our biggest barriers is the lack of focus on the disease that we can prevent. How, how do we overcome that, Dr. Bell? Is it through a, a public education campaign? Is it through our pediatrician network? What are some of the suggestions that you might have for how we reach out to this younger patient population so that we do mitigate some of those concerns and heighten the awareness about the greater risk of the disease and mitigate those concerns? It's a combination of both of those things that you just mentioned, public education, um, consulting with healthcare providers or, you know, authoritative sources of information. I would say um, also avoiding social medias or avoiding uh, sources that are not credible. You know, when people are, are posting things, you, you sort of need to look at uh, people's credentials if they're speaking to an issue. And again, um, I, I know that people are really monitoring case counts and things like that, but I think there's an invisible aspect of the proportion of people who are hospitalized or the proportion of people who do not have serious enough illness to be hospitalized, but who have a really rough course of long COVID and um, you know things like this that are, to me, sometimes seemingly invisible, the, the impact that the disease itself is having. So I think it continued public education. And, and one more thing that I'll add is to, to let's consider COVID for what it is, a vaccine-preventable disease, like so many other vaccine-preventable diseases that we have been so successful in preventing. And if we could just think of it in that context, that we have the ability to, um, to prevent so much of this morbidity and mortality from this disease. We, I, I want to remind people that we have um, over 14,000 confirmed and probable deaths in South Carolina in just 20 months. And if you look at a single condition that has done that much devastation, I hope that we can pay much more attention to the vaccines and what we can do to slow this down and stop um, these complications. I agree with you. You know, so many people that we know and love just differ on this. And um, I do hope that they listen. 
But now we're talking about boosters. So let me see if I can get this right. So Americans over 18 are eligible for a booster six months after receiving either Pfizer or Moderna, two months after Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, and just this week, Pfizer and Biotech announced plans to ask the FDA to approve its booster shot for 16 and 17-year-olds, so dialing down a couple of years. Um, how do you think, Dr. Bell, this authorization, if granted, you know, will will impact our our vaccination rate? I hope we, I hope we don't I hope you don't say slow again. We've heard slow twice, but I suspect that's the case. You know, to be optimistic, it can have a huge positive impact. And as we've learned more and more about the, the, the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccines and more and more age groups are included in theory, we're just increasing the opportunities to protect more people from harm. And so if we, if we had that rapid in, uh, uptake, especially in this particular age group, 16 and 17 year olds are very socially active. They're also probably less likely to adhere to other recommended prevention measures like consistently wearing a mask or socially distancing. So the impact that vaccination could have in that population group with, with their behaviors as, as you know, young, uh, young adults or you know, older teenagers, we could have a huge impact if we got that age group protected and did that as rapidly as possible. Um, it could have a big impact on our overall disease activity not just in that age group, but in the community as a whole because of the risk that they um, pose in spreading in their social circles and then to their family members and then in communities. That's a great point. I didn't think about them being spreaders. And it keeps right. them health, healthy and not spreading. Right, right, because they're butting into their independence, right, as young adults. Well, the next question that we want to pose to you, Dr. Bell, is one that is a little more controversial, and that relates to vaccine mandates. We recognize that these are controversial, and we're just a little curious about your perspective on why mandates are still controversial almost two years in to the pandemic. Why do you think this is still a controversial topic? It is controversial. I, I will say that that puzzles me. Um, Mandates have been in place to protect the public health really for ages. And so in the scenario that we are involved with now, they have simply been made controversial. And I and 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 why at this time when we have a pandemic that it has killed over I think probably 780,000 people in the United States. And I've also I've already mentioned the number of deaths in, in South. Carolina. Um, so why we are choosing now to look at mandates through a different lens when we have this public health crisis is, is, is simply a puzzle. And, and what I'll say about the fact that they have been in place for ages, we have to consider that um, when there's a potential threat to the public health, we use our authority to protect others. So when people are in certain high-risk settings like healthcare workers or uh, we have um, school entry requirements for people to be vaccinated because of the threat in these uh, certain uh, settings. And, and through those mandates, we may choose a different word, but we have prevented outbreaks in school settings. We have protected patients in um, healthcare settings whose uh, healthcare workers can spread the disease. So 
when people um, will not voluntarily adopt recommendations that prevent the public health, we have always used, if you call them mandates or um, exclusion criteria or school interview requirements, all of those are essentially mandates. And so uh, when, we, when we see an enormous threat like this, they become extremely important when we have low participation in what is being recommended. Are those the points that you would make to someone who is still hesitant um, even now? Or are there other um, thoughts that you might recommend that they consider? Well, for those who are, are still hesitant, um, I, I would ask them to really think about what the threat is. And I want to say think about it in the right way. So all of the potential negatives um, are, are called to mind. but Think of it as the opportunity that we have that in general vaccines have been defined as one of the single most successful public health interventions. And at this time, we really need a successful public health intervention to, to slow the spread. We, um, we are going to be living with um, COVID. We believe we, we've lost the opportunity to make it go away entirely. So, you know, what I ask people to think about is to, to sort of voluntarily follow the recommendations to because um, you really, how often does any individual have the opportunity to save a life? I'll put it like that. We focus on our healthcare heroes, but you can save your own life. You can save the life of a family member. You can save the life of a stranger. And if you had that power, would you not take advantage of that? So I, I ask people to, to think of it in that way, the, the opportunity to adopt evidence-based measures that have helped us through time in in making other vaccine preventable diseases um, really minimal threats. And we have this extraordinary threat at this time. And I, I'm you know, really asking people to consider the power that we each have to change the course in our communities. That's a really positive way to look at it, I think. And powerful. Yes. Um, Omicron, the next variant that has now hit the news and is you know, here in the United States. How effective, if we know, are our current vaccines against this variant? So we, we have little experience with this. If we just think back a few days, it was right about Thanksgiving. When we first began to hear about um, the rapid spread in South Africa. So we're, we're basing what we know now on um, a, a very limited number of cases. Yes, we are seeing more states reporting cases now. That's expected. Uh, we believe uh, because of the way we sample uh, only a, a small number of um, specimens that are submitted for um, genetic sequencing to determine that they are Omicron. We believe that it is that it is here uh, more cases than we already know about. But we don't yet have enough information to answer the questions about, well, is the vaccine, um, that the vaccines that are currently available still effective against Omicron? We believe that they will uh, still be effective in reducing the severity of illness, but um, we, because this variant has so many mutations that can escape currently available um, therapeutics like monoclonal antibodies and drugs, <clears throat> and there, there may be some reduced effectiveness against um, Omicron with the currently available vaccines. However, again, we don't want to forget what the dominant threat is right now is the Delta variant. And we still have an opportunity. It's the vast majority of all of our cases are Delta. We know that the vaccines work against that. We believe that the vaccines will um, 
offer protection against severe disease, and, and, and that's really our goal. We, we may see a number of mild illnesses, but we need to prevent the spread, and we need to prevent serious complications. Well, in addition to the virus, there are other issues that have emerged um, in parallel to COVID, and unfortunately, that relates to mental health diagnoses as well as an increase in overdoses. Um, do you see the mental health crisis and the increase in overdoses in South Carolina that are outpacing um, the increase in the national average as our next public health crisis, Dr. Bell? And if so, what resources can we deploy to mitigate these issues? And if you can, um, share some data about our overdoses. Um, I understand that the CDC has released some preliminary data um, recently on, on these issues. Yeah, this is a very serious crisis and, and not just now emerging. It, this is another um, public health priority that has not gotten enough attention. Not just the, um, not just the opioid component of this, but just mental health in general. We're focusing a lot on physical health but the with you know the restrictions through COVID, we know that many people have experienced isolation, separation that has resulted in uh, mental health uh, complications. And in our um, capabilities in our communities to deal with mental health challenges and substance abuse disorder and the combination of those two is, um, I will say, is insufficient. So again, as we've talked about COVID, what we need to do is have more. Um, public information about it, more education about it. As we are more willing to talk about physical health issues, we need to be much more willing to let people talk about mental health issues. There is a stigma associated with mental health challenges and substance abuse that should not be there. It gets in the way of people getting the treatment and the help that they need that is available. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I actually can't give you data right now, uh, except to tell you that um, it's, this is sort of, um, I, I don't like to use reactionary terms. I, I was going to say it's sort of exploding, but, but it is. There's a dramatic increase in the number of, um, of people who are addicted and in overdoses and in complications to deaths. So I really appreciate you bringing this up just so that I, I can refer you to sites. You can look at the CDC website, look at the DHEC website to get more education. And to help us pay attention to this and help us help those people who need help and help our family members, our community members to talk about this without stigma so that we can start going in the right direction so that people can, can get help. And I also refer you to the a website for DEOTIS for more information. So please visit the, those sites a current data. All three of those are great resources. And I, and I think you do make the valid point of we just have to not judge people. What, you know, how I react to something is going to be different than how you do, Dara. Right. And, um, and so, Dr. Bell, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to talk about it and say that it is increasing. We don't like to hear the negative news, but we might as well accept it so we can help people and be open about it. I can't believe our 20 minutes has run by already so fast. I feel like every time we have you on... There are uh, additional questions that, you know, I think of asking, but we'll just have to have you back for number five, maybe, if you don't mind, in 2022. I don't mind at all. I'm very appreciative for these opportunities, and I, I hope it helps. And I will say just particularly you bringing up the, um, the issues with opioid abuse and mental health, that is 
kind of yet another public health priority that we have a lot of work to do. We do. We're so grateful for you. And we hope that you and your family will enjoy a happy holiday season, Dr. Bell. And we hope that you'll continue to stay well, because we certainly appreciate your steady and capable leadership. It's much needed. I want to wish everyone a happy and healthy holiday. Don't forget what we can do to um, make that a reality. Thank you. Thank you so much. Daryl, one thing Dr. Bell said I wrote down, we will be living with COVID. We've lost the opportunity for it to go away entirely. Um, you know, you hate to hear that, but we've done that, I right. think. Uh, and so we're just going to have to get real about living with it. Right. But I guess the upside is there are a lot of other things that we live with, too. Absolutely. And it's a new reality. Um, I think our mindset has to no longer be one of fear. It has to be one of practicality. How can we move forward with this as our reality? How can we be practical about it and move forward? Because we cannot be fearful. We cannot live in isolation. That's not something that is sustainable for us because we were not designed as human beings to live in isolation. We are social creatures. And so the sooner that we can embrace this as a part of our daily life, and take practical steps to protect ourselves and those that we love. Something else that she said that just resonates with me, how often do we have the opportunity to save a life? I think if we put these two principles together, it can drive a lot of really powerful and practical daily decisions that can have a major impact on our daily living and policies that hopefully our leaders can make um, to help all of us. Well, we sure have learned a lot in the last 20 months. And for those of you who have, been jo- who have joined us throughout these last 20 months, I, th- I thank you for uh, sticking with us on Taking the Pulse. And we hope to continue to br- provide you with helpful information, whether it be COVID or healthcare, your industry, or life sciences, um, the rapidly changing environments that we have really in all three. But it's been a pleasure to be with you, Dara. It's been a pleasure to have you join us today, and we we hope you'll check back in with us right here on Taking the Pulse, a life sciences and healthcare podcast.